Hello, my name is Krista Jones, founder and CEO of Virginia Leadership Institute, and welcome to A Seat at the Table. The purpose of this show is to bring together thought leaders and experts from a wide variety of fields to talk about some of the most pressing issues that our communities are facing today and how we can take action and come to a resolution. On November 8th, 2016, we had our presidential election in the United States, and no matter who you ask, from whatever side of the political spectrum, I think there was surprise or everyone has an opinion. So we really felt it was important to bring together some experts today and a small focus group or a small audience to kind of share our opinions and how we can move forward as a country um, in, in for the next four years. So I'd like to start off by introducing our panelists today. We have Dr. Stephen Farnsworth, who is a professor of political science and international affairs at the University of Mary Washington. We have Tarina Keene, who is executive director of NARAL Pro-Choice Virginia. And we have Donald Scoggins, who is a GOP activist. Welcome to our panel today. So I'd like to start off by asking you all, how do you feel this election was different from others? So all of you have been involved in politics from different sides. You've seen it from different angles. Why was this election so different? We'll start off with you, Dr. Farnsworth. Well, for me, the main thing that was different about this election uh, was the extent to which anger proved to be a winning strategy. Normally, when you look at presidential elections, you see optimism you see an upbeat vision for how America is and how it can be better if the candidate that you are representing prevails. Now, what's different about this election is that the anger seemed to be the advantage in this cycle. And I think part of that had to do with the uh, excitement that Bernie voters generated within the Democratic Party. But also, I think it had a lot to do with who Donald Trump really was. I think that Donald Trump had an extraordinary ability to present himself as the voice of people struggling in America, even though he is far from uh, what one would consider to be a natural voice for people struggling in America. Thank you, Krista, mm -hmm. for inviting me tonight. Um, I was beyond shocked by the amount of sexism and misogyny, um, racism, uh, xenophobia, um, the attacks on, on people who are different from Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I was more, it was shocking to me on a daily basis. It was hurtful to me, so I can only imagine what other people were going through who are, um, you know, found themselves on the other sides, uh, on the other side of attacks. Um, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I actually, um, the one day that it actually became apparent to me just how bad it was is that I have a, a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I was very excited, and she was very excited. I talked about Hillary Clinton a lot, and um, I happened to have the TV on, and she walked in the room, and I wasn't really paying attention, and uh, she said, Mommy, who is that man? And he was... I think I'd become sort of <laughs> uh, desensitized to some of the things that he was saying and what he was doing on a regular basis. And I said, "He's this is that's Donald Trump." And she said, in a very uh, blank face, very serious face, and she said, "Mommy, he's a very bad man." Mm. And the reason she was saying that, I think, was because of the tone that he was taking. And from a three and a half year old little girl who had 
you know, was really excited about because her mother is talking to her about uh, a woman being on the ticket for the first time who had, you know, no no other background um, or knowledge of him. Uh, was was able to sort of see that um, as a you know as a child. So that was something that really uh, brought it to reality to me. Is that even though I'm not a person of color, I I am a woman, uh, and I, I don't have a lot of other different uh, di- things that differentiate me. Uh, but that was a shocking moment for me, and I was um, I, I was at that point in time became very concerned about how uh, the tone, the rhetoric that was being put out there um, around the election would actually affect our children. And I don't think I've ever, ever thought of that in terms of an election. I obviously have different opinions from you know other candidates, but I don't think that I ever have felt this way about a particular election, especially in how it would affect my family personally. So I can only imagine what others are feeling or, or felt during that time too. Thank you. Don? I believe basically I feel the same way that uh, the two other panelists feel, but one of the things that really was very shocking to me was the amount of um, hypocrisy in this campaign. It seems like the more hypocritical you were, the better better it was for you. If you were a person who tried to be dignified and tried to set the example for the youth and for others, that evidently that currency didn't uh, have much favor also I was very shocked or very surprised that the the uh, basically the uh, I would say the uh, commandeering of the Republican Party by someone who when you look at the other candidates he he was probably the least person you would probably have wanted to win the nomination and he was the one that actually won the nomination and I was also fearful of the fact that since I am a person of color and I've been involved with the GOP for many years, I was fearful of what a Trump candidacy would do to the Republican Party in terms of, uh, in terms of broadening it. Because even though we have many Democrats, I still think that uh, people of color should be appropriately represented in the Republican Party. And that's going to make the task much more difficult now. So, Tarina, you know, as you were saying earlier, Trump's victory and his election and his campaign was very harmful to women. And not only his personal, but what he may implement in terms of policies, I guess, depending on how you view women's health um, policy. But I'd like to know from you, I mean, he impacted a lot of different issue areas, but in terms of women's health, what are some things that you're organization is kind of trying to predict or what type of strategy, how are you going to lessen the impact of a Trump presidency? Well, we are taking some time right now to uh, figure out another strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we had a different one ready Mm -hmm. to go. Um, uh, I would say the vast majority um, of the uh, reproductive rights and justice movement, basically, we were ready for a Hillary Clinton presidency and had a lot of big plans um, about how we were going to not only protect but advance mm-hmm. um, those rights and making sure that um, health care access uh, was available to everyone, mm-hmm. not just uh, a few. 
But uh, in light of what we have now, I think that uh, it's interesting. I wanted to go back and talk about the actual election is that this issue didn't come up that much, which is kind of shocking depending mm-hmm. because of the last few election cycles it has been front and center and and uh, it didn't really come up until the third debate if you remember but um so donald trump didn't really run on this issue and people didn't actually vote on reproductive rights mm-hmm. um although i think usually if that is a, a, a is an issue that is out front a lot of people will make that an issue that they vote on mm-hmm. um but since he has been elected, um, we've seen some of the uh, cabinet appointments and what he's been talking about in terms of uh, Supreme Court justices. I mean, this is a really scary time for us. Um, we believe that you know Roe v. Wade is settled law, mm-hmm. um, although uh, Donald Trump has said time and time again that he will actually make that a litmus test in terms Mm -hmm. of who he's going to appoint to the Supreme Court. Um, He has also said, oh, well, we're going to overturn Roe. We're going to defund Planned Parenthood. We're going to send all all this this conversation back to the states and let uh, the states decide. Well, that doesn't work out when you're talking about constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. Because if you leave it to the states, that means that women will be denied their constitutional rights based on where they live. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't have that. And that, that applies to so many um, issues that are, are being challenged right now, voting uh, voting rights, uh, immigration rights. I mean, these are things that we believe actually should be settled at the, at the federal level, uh, and, but, but are, have, have been. But to go back and challenge those um, is, uh, is definitely concerning. Hello, my name is Patrick Wilborn. I am currently a student at the Graduate School of Political Management. I'm getting my master's in political management, and my hope is to use the skills I'm learning at that school to help black people um, who want to run for office actually attain the office that they're seeking. And so... That's why I'm here today. I don't know. I want to learn from what the panel has to say and what their thoughts are on this current election. So thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for allowing me to be in this space. My name is Rose Chantal Porter, and I am a grant writer as well as a youth development worker and nonprofit development worker. I am here today to be part of the conversation to hear other uh, ideas or thoughts on the election as I have my own. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you very you. much. Hi, thank you for having me this evening. My name is Amina Gilliard James. I'm currently a doctoral candidate at the George Washington University uh, studying human and organizational learning. I'm also a federal employee and the wife of an active duty military officer. And I'm here because of all of the above. Um, This election has impacted my life in numerous ways as an ally, as a federal employee, as an army wife, and I just want to be a part of the conversation and a part of the solution moving forward, so thank you. Hi, Krista Jones. Thank you very, very much for organizing this. Um, I, like probably everyone in this room and much of America, found this campaign to be traumatic and painful. And um, actually, I was raised in a household where we we weren't religious, but we were really into politics. Mm -hmm. Um, We were very liberal, and um, I was the A-10 elected official in Arlington, which is my hometown, for almost six years. That's how I know Miss Jones. Um, And my father um, battled cancer for more than 20 years. He outseated his life expectancy by 23 years. Um, But he ended that fight 
a week after the election, and he stayed alive to vote. It was very important to him. So I think um, those two combined factors, I am struggling with shock and disbelief um, and some trauma and PST because, you know, my dad had had many near, he graduated from hospice in 2015. He lived in the hospital um, for all of January and you don't leave hospice, you die. Mm -hmm. Except my dad kept saying, ah, I don't, I don't feel like I'm dying. And we're like, you're 108 pounds and you're on oh, morphine. God. But he was right. But this was, it was time, he was done. He saw the future and it was a dystopian um, situation. I see, I testified in front of the Virginia State Senate in 2005 on behalf of women's rights to see the way that he refers to women and minorities and every group of individuals. And the fact that it's one of those things you see good versus evil and good didn't win. And I felt Hillary wasn't just to me the better, the lesser of two evils. She was my candidate. She was my candidate all along, and I believe so strongly in her. I went and registered voters, and I phone banked, and I brought my three-year-old to knock on doors, and that is not easy. So I'm not gonna sit down and roll over. I just cannot accept it. Thank so, you. Sorry, that's not short. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm Harry Wiggins. I'm the uh, chair of the uh, Prince William County Democratic Committee. Uh, I think most of you know Prince William County is a majority-minority county, 22% Latino, 21% African Americans, 10% Asians. Uh, the vote uh, in Prince William for this election, Hillary won Prince William by 42,000 votes, won by 21 points over uh, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and there are some, uh, some good coming out of uh, this election in Prince William. For the first time, there's a coalition of Latino leadership, Muslim leadership, and African-American leadership uh, who've gotten together, and they've gotten together out of fear of what uh, to expect from, uh, from Donald Trump. His appointments are uh, either generals or CEOs. Uh, you know, I'm a retired uh, Army. I don't like generals running the Defense Department. Uh, or everything that I... I believe in uh, points to a better future for us when Donald Trump's gone. You know, I want to get back to what you said. I mean, this is maybe I'm being a little bit uh, too solicitous here, but I think that this is where people who are, who have sound minds should rise up. And I like when you said that you are beyond being the indignation that you have about what's going on. You know, I agree with you too, but I think that unfortunately, uh, the only way you can really express that is at the ballot box. In many cases, I mean, you, I mean, I feel the same way, but I'm constitutionally, and maybe my um, my nature doesn't allow me to to maybe lead a demonstration or either to say some uncouth type type thing. Sometimes I, when I'm sleep at night, I say, "Oh, I wish I could say this and say that," but then when I wake up, I can't. I just can't do it. But I think that people like people that are moderate Republicans in Virginia tends to be a swing state and I th it's kind of right or center. I think that this is where about maybe even in a general election when you see things happen a certain way or maybe even the primary. You know, in Virginia, you do not have to register by party so you can vote in anybody's primary, even though the parties don't want you to do that. But I think that if like if you don't like a Corey Stewart, maybe you need to get out and vote for the person who's uh which you would be considered the lesser two evils, you know, and I think that we really do need to bring some, I really don't want to see in next year's election the, um, 
the uh, the uh, vitriol that happened at the national level in Virginia. I just mm-hmm. tell you the truth. I really, you know, I don't I don't want my pressure going up that high, you know. <laughs> and I think that people of sound minds need to get out and just make sure that the people who we feel are very ab- abhorrent do not get in halls of power. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. We need to just not make sure that happens. One thing that I think is is an important part of this conversation that we haven't gotten to yet is the extent to which people are finding it increasingly difficult to vote in this country because of the changes in the way that voting registration mechanics are taking place. This is an issue in Virginia. It's an issue in many other states. But fundamentally what's going on here is an effort to make it harder to vote. When you think about the laws in Ohio or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, to name three swing states, when you think about the laws here in Virginia, the way in which more ID is required, and there isn't a provision in any of these states that make it easy to get that ID if you don't already have it. Particularly, this is an issue, I think, for older Americans, particularly those in inner cities who use mass transit, who do not have access to DMV offices. You have to have a car to get to the DMV in most jurisdictions. And so that creates a real problem. And we know, for example, that in Wisconsin, there were more than 200,000 people who once upon a time could have voted, but now can't because of the new rules. And we have to get those people to the places where they can register and be done, uh, be done with the process so that when election day comes, they can participate. Um, It used to be a bipartisan thing in America where Democrats and Republicans both supported Voting Rights Act, supported the mechanics of voting being a key part of where Americans could agree. And we're not seeing that anymore. And that is disproportionately affecting African-American communities, to be sure. And so this is a key crisis, it seems to me, in the way that we do this process. Instead of making voting easier, we're making voting harder. And I think that one of the ways in which the media undermined the effectiveness of this election cycle was not to talk about that more. Instead of all the questions about the issues of the latest tweet, the latest insult, Mm -hmm. um, the, the issue of voting mechanics, it may not be sexy, but it is crucial to how this process works and whether people feel like the system is working for them or not. Because imagine an 80-year-old person trying to get to the polls, getting there somehow with buses and long lines and all the rest because they've also cut the early voting days in many states. We don't even have no excuses early voting in Virginia. There are a whole series of barriers. And so it is an issue, I think, that uh, doesn't get the attention that it deserves. With all due respect to the activists, I think it's really important that we don't worry about elections in terms of the back end, in terms of getting people out. We have to worry about the front end, too, in terms of making sure that everybody who wants to vote is registered ahead of time and has the access through no excuses early voting and other issues like that to make democracy work better for everyone. What do you think that the Republican Party can do, or what are they prepared to do going forward to appeal more to people of color, especially African Americans? Well, t- <laughs> this <is laughs> you, I know Harry just just can't wait to speak. I'm going to be honest about it, and I'm not, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a political correctness type person. The Republican Party does have a problem with people of color, or people of color have a problem with the Republican Party. But I've lived long enough to know that that. Um, you're going to have Republican administrations and Democratic administrations. It's not going to be one or the other all the time. And something that a 
very elderly uh, black Republican told me years ago who, you know, as, as he went through life as a Republican, he was a very distinguished uh, former uh, judge and all. I don't want to mention his name, but, <clears throat> but he spoke to a group that I was involved with, black uh, Republicans, and he said that through the years, people would come up and say, well, why are you a Republican? You know, they would ask him kind of incredulously, why was he a Republican? And he said something I never will forget. He said, if you don't have, if you can't get a seat at the table, at least be in the room, you know. And that's something I never will forget because I've been in situations whereby, and even right now, I've been in situations around a group of Republicans. And as I get more gray hair and more wrinkles and everything, I get more confidence. <laughs> and I've said certain things to them, you know, and it has made some impact. You know, and I think that it's not going to happen overnight, and I probably won't live to see it, but I still think that we cannot give up. We cannot just sort of just, I don't want to use it blindly, but I will say that I don't want us to just sort of by rote just go and always vote for the uh, Democratic Party because, quite frankly, within the Democratic Party, they have issues also as it relates to uh, people of color. You know, so it's not like this problem is... is is just with one particular political party. And I think that until we realize that, because quite frankly, other ethnic groups are seeing that. The Latino community, they have uh, appropriately a number of people that are looking at the Republican Party having been the, I mean, our community, the black community, is the only one that just sort of blindly votes Democrat. And you look at what's happened in public policy throughout the years. You look at Baltimore, you look at just about every major you know, Philadelphia, Chicago, just about every major city that's that's been Democrat for God knows how long. We have all these issues. And while I'm while I'm moderate, I tend to be right of center. I think that some of the policies that I've seen happening when I was when I just got out of college back in back in the late late 60s, I saw certain things that were beginning to happen in these cities that I kn knew exactly what what is going to end up with the Democratic Party to attract black vote unfortunately they gave they they sort of unaccountability they put out too much i mean i'm not saying people don't need help but they have been enabler of much of the social ills that has affected the black community you know they i mean it's just like a parent and everything you can't give people too much you know and then expect them to be independent and another thing is about the unions the unions have just about raped these cities between the between the teachers union and, and, and certain public public employees unions. I mean, they chased all the tax base out of the city. How do you expect them to be able to pay for, for what needs to be paid for? And who's left? The people who can't get out are the ones that's left there. And you see what has happened. I mean, this, this is a little bit too simplistic, but I think that it, I think that it calls for a dialogue that we probably should have had 20 and 30 years ago to make sure that we don't go overboard one way or the other you know we have to kind of take it in steps and make sure that we have the infrastructure or the uh, structure to take care of some of these ills that we have you know instead of just throwing money at the problem and as a result you chase people out of the city and just like in in Prince William County everybody wants to go to Gainesville everybody wants to go to the western part of the county because the eastern part has uh you know people they don't want to be around anyway that's <laughs> here you go that's i'll leave it at that you know. harry did you have a question yeah i i, I have a couple things to say don uh as you might expect 
I kind of have a, a unique uh, situation here. I, I have an African-American uh, daughter-in-law, and I have a Latina daughter-in-law. So when, uh, when uh, Don's guy, Donald Trump, appointed uh, Jeff Sessions to uh, be the attorney general, a white nationalist segregationist, uh, to be the attorney, do I need to say more? And, and Don, regarding, uh, regarding unions, the Republican Party would have everybody except them make a dollar an hour or less or nothing. And that's, uh, that's a problem. I mean, when, uh, when people make seven twenty-five an hour, it's not a livable wage. Uh, people can't live on that. They can't support a home, a family, or kids, or anything else. And in Virginia, uh, massive resistance against any increase by one of my, my delegate, Rich Anderson, who rails against uh, increasing uh, minimum wage. So uh, in terms of, of the Republican Party and African Americans, um, I heard from my daughter, both daughter-in-laws, uh, Latina and an African American, why would any African American ever be a Republican? Because the Republican Party is nothing but a bunch of white racists. I think making sure that we, uh, we as as people, and um, making sure that we are well informed, um, and that we remain um, vigilant for protecting our own rights, and that we actually take an active part. In, in ensuring that, um, but also that we are pulling other people in or making sure that people are well informed. Um, and I think there are a lot of opportunities. I know since election day, the day after election, uh, my small organization, um, we had over 100 people just randomly sign up mm -hmm. to be volunteers for our, our, uh, for our organization. And we've already reached out to every one of them. Uh, they've received phone calls. They've received emails. We've actually had happy hours. Hours, you know, trying to bring people in and making sure that they know that we see them and that we hear them and that we really want them to be involved. Um, not everyone is going to want to be a part of the reproductive rights and justice movement, but they certainly there are there are issues out there that are at grave risk because of this administration. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are saying, "Oh no, he was just he was just talking," um, but people voted for him. People believed what. Donald Trump had to say, and they are going to expect some action, whether he believes it or not. And um, whether he's an ideologue or not, um, or he believes it, he's definitely putting the wrong people in place who actually do want to do that. So I think it's not just from, you know, the White House, it's a, a, a lot, it's almost every department that is, you know, in the in the cabinet that we need to make sure that we're paying attention to. Um, so I think no matter who you are um, uh, or where, you know, where you fall on the spectrum um, is that we all stand together and then we all find a way to participate and be involved and make sure, again, uh, in 2017 that we're actually mobilizing and getting out to vote here in Virginia and beyond. It's thank going to be you. a long four years. Well, I'd like to thank our panelists and our audience today for this discussion. You know, I think it's clear that this election has been different from any other. Um, it's brought up a lot of um, internal emotions and anger, and we're all struggling with how to move forward as a nation. 
But, you know, I really think it's time for us to think a little bit differently about how we approach activism. You know, the name of this show is A Seat at the Table. And I think this election showed that we cannot have business as usual. I'm hoping that we won't see this type of vitriol again in future elections at the local, state, or national level. But what I am hoping as well is that we all think a little bit differently about how we can make a difference and how we can all have a seat at the table.